101.1 FM, The Way. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. We'll examine how Iran and Russia are scratching each other's back. We'll look at how the Euphrates River is sparking end times questions. And could one movie reignite a movement? That's just some of what we'll discuss as we look at the signs of the times. Our weekly review of Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news for Friday, March 10th, 2023. Signs of the Times is a weekly broadcast that's also a podcast. And this is episode 254 that you can find wherever you do your podcasting. Or if you want to see how the sausage gets made, you can watch this program by going to the Signs of the Times section at thewaymedia.net. That's also the same place to go if you have a prophecy question for Pastor Mark or want to read the articles that we discuss for yourself. And now, here to explain why the best part of a cucumber tastes like the worst part of a watermelon is Pastor Mark, (laughs) who, before he was married, tried to break up with an optician that he was dating, but it was really hard. Every time he told her that he couldn't see her anymore, she'd move an inch closer and say, how about now? (laughs) No, that's funny. That's good. Not that the others aren't funny, but that one I can visualize. And I'm like, you know, I thought you were going to say that every time I said I I can't see anymore, she would change my prescription. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That probably, too. Yeah, that's great. I like that. All right. That's very, very very good. I'm very good. I'm glad you did. It's I always did. it's it's always good to to start off with something funny. <laughs> since a lot of the stuff we talk about isn't funny. Yes. Anyway, and speaking of things that we want to talk about before we get into articles, um there's something that you want to talk about that's uh, uh going on right now uh out on the interwebs. Yeah. As far as interpretations of end times prophecy and you know, I, I don't know how do you say you're we're, we're looking for the boogeyman underneath every bed. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe the intents of people are well-meaning, but we've got to look at everything the way God has presented us to look at Bible prophecy. Right holistically all yeah. together so well yeah and why again, don't we talk about that yeah again greg we talk in in theological circles people talk about the word hermeneutics and yes. most of our listeners probably know that word it just means proper interpretation of scripture and i think that sometimes people forget the same thing has to apply to prophecy as well you can't just go to prophecy and say here's what i think it means because then it could mean something else to someone else or something else to someone else or something else to someone else and so what what happens is whenever you decide what it means whether it's just regular scripture or prophecy if you're not using the proper interpretation method and hermeneutical principles um then basically you're becoming the authority rather than God 
Because you're saying, here's what it really means when God says, no, here's what it said. And that's why last week we talked about the importance of taking Scripture literally. And prophecy we can take literally as well. Now, there's lots of symbols. There's lots of images. I get that. But they all have literal meanings. And when you look out on the Internet and hear the radio and different things that are going on, I'm hearing a lot of different things out there, interpretations of different things, you know, where people are kind of making their own interpretation up. And we have to be, we have to understand the proper way to understand scripture, or this could get crazy because it's going to get crazier in the last days. There's going to be a lot of uh, of conjecture. What does this mean? What does that mean? And so I think giving us the proper way to interpret prophecy is going to be so key to staying on target. Uh, You know, I look at the scripture here where in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20, Peter says this. He says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And and what he's saying is, you can't just go to the Bible, or you can't just go to prophecy and say, I think this is what this means, and so therefore I'm going to make it work, and you start building a world around it. And I'll give you one example I'm hearing out there now. I'm hearing a lot about the, 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 the Antichrist going out, conquering and to conquer. I was hearing it again today on another, uh, another uh, uh, broadcast I was listening to that somebody was talking about it. And it says there, let me just read it to you. For, I'll give you yeah. an example here. In, in chapter 6, uh, the seals um, that are opened in Revelation, it says, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, we don't have time to develop that. Just you have to trust me when you do your own studies and look at the book of Revelation. This is referring to the Antichrist. It's not talking about Jesus on the white horse coming back in the second coming. This is at the very beginning of the seven years. Okay, This is the very first seal that's open. The rapture is taking place, the great tribulation is underway, and Jesus opens the first seal, and then this Antichrist reveals himself, that's where he'll sign the treaty with Israel and the surrounding nations, Right, and he will go out conquering and to conquer. And so, if you want to look at it, again, literally, that's really what we know. At the beginning of the seven-year uh, great tribulation, this guy's going to rise up, and the reason he's predict, uh, 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 visioned on a... Um, a white horse shown on a white horse is he's going to be like everybody's hero. He's going to try to replace the Christ being the instead of Christ, which is what anti means instead of. Right. And so he's going to go out and he's going to conquer and to conquer and he will have a crown, et cetera, et cetera. Now that we know we can stand on that, but here's where we have to be careful. And there might be some further meaning to this later on down the road. But, but, but again, as we were discussing before the show began, we have to wait for these things to unfold before we start saying what we think it means in a lot of instances, because we have to stick to what we know it means until God reveals what it means, or it becomes our own private interpretation, which the Bible says you can't do. You cannot put private interpretation on prophecy. And so what they're saying is, well, the word bow there, interestingly enough, is the word toxin. Okay? It is bow, but it also is a toxin. It's in that word. And the crown, again, we know that crown's another, another name for a crown. It's not the word corona right there. It's the word crown, but another name for crown is corona. So I'm hearing things out that say, oh, this proves it. The coronavirus, uh, that was the Antichrist uh, conquering the world with a toxin in these shots with the coronavirus, blah, 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 giving everybody shots. Okay. Here's the problem with that. Now, remember, when you're interpreting Scripture, it's not just to be taken literally, using all the symbolism with literal meaning behind it, but also has to be taken, ready for this, here's a hermeneutical principle, contextually. What is the context? The context is the beginning of the Great Tribulation where the Antichrist is being revealed. So, 
even if you try to make some argument that has something to do with corona and toxins, because later on it says that the the world will be corrupted with pharmaceuticals. Yeah, we know that. We know that. So there may be something to do with the Antichrist and pharmaceuticals. That is a very possible, plausible uh, interpretation. But to say that this has happened, which some people are saying, that the first seal has been opened, that this this was the beginning, you know, whatever. If you're saying that, then the seven, look at context. Yes. We bring context in now as a hermeneutical principle. You're saying... The seven years has begun, and it began three years ago. And the because, Antichrist has signed the peace treaty. Yeah, yeah, he would have had to sign the peace treaty three years ago when this yeah. began, and that would mean we're almost to the mid-tribulation point, which would mean now he's going to stand up in the temple and declare himself God. Well, the temple's not even rebuilt yet, so he can't stand up. Even if, if they built that, they can't build the temple fast enough to reach the three and a half years since corona started. So my point is, you see the error here. Um there may be something tied into um, uh, pharmaceuticals, um, maybe even worldwide shots. They're going so crazy on these. They're pushing one after another. There may be something in the last days. I think there is with, uh, pretty clearly from Revelation. But to, but to jump to the end and say this means that this was the Antichrist, this was coronavirus, this is the shot, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're doing what the Bible said don't do. It is not of private interpretation. So I give this warning so that our listeners, when you're watching what's happening, Look at the larger picture and realize we're working toward uh, this larger uh, picture rather than being so consumed with the details and trying to figure it out. And that's where I think people are going to get into trouble, Greg. Well, and you can't approach God's word myopically. You know, you just cannot focus in on this one little thing and then come to a conclusion when Scripture interprets Scripture. So you need all of Scripture to give you the interpretation or the understanding of that one thing yeah. you're looking at. Right. Right. And, and you're exactly right. And again, in that larger picture, what we need to do if we're, when we're interpreting prophecy and looking at it, here's what we do. We look at what we know the Bible says is going to happen, such as there will be a one world government. There will be a one world religion. There will be, you go down the list of things, an antichrist that signs a treaty. We know these seals will be opened. The trumpets will be sounded. The bowls will be poured out. Where we have to be careful is on the journey to that, to jump to the conclusion that something like the corona shot and all this is the Antichrist going conquering and to conquer. Because very obviously, in context, that's impossible, or he would be known to the world, and we'd almost be to his announcement that he's God in the temple. So we have to be careful where we take this stuff. Well, and another thing that hasn't happened, that will happen, or already have happened, by the time he shows up on the scene and is known to be who the Bible says he will be known as, right. there has to be the revived Roman Empire yeah. in its full bloom, which means that the whole world will once again come under the rule and authority of a one-world government. Right. And we're not there yet. That's right. And see, it comes back to context. Again, exactly. That, that's huge when it comes to interpretation. Yeah. So I guess my warning out there, guys, is be careful. You know, um, uh, you know, you just be careful not to take something you read in the Bible and because if you something you feel that it is, you say, oh, this is what it means. You, you're going to run into danger that you got to stick with what you know. Now, there are headwinds. So I can look at things, for example, Greg, when we see we see the, the world currency coming into play. Okay? We can talk about that and very clearly say this whole digital currency that's happening is a part of the yeah. end times prophetic process because we know it's going to go there. But unless you know that, you can't just jump yeah. to that and say that's what it is. We already see pharmacia being used around the world. We right. see sorcery. We right. see the drug use, drug yeah. abuse, whether it is uh, things that have tradition, traditionally been illegal. Yeah. 
or things that we would consider legal in terms of medical pharmaceuticals. Right. You know, uh, and the things that we've seen with the coronavirus and then the subsequent what they call vaccinations and booster shots and things like that. Right. All of those are, as you would say, headwinds or foreshadowings or or the building blocks of the fulfillment of that prophecy. But a lot of these prophecies, with the exception of very few, take time to build and they build up. And then we've got one time events or singular events such as like the rapture. Okay, that is a one-time singular event. Uh, the signing of the peace treaty, the standing up in the in the Temple Mount, declaring himself God. Um, you know, and then there are times for the bowls and the judgments and the, and the seals and all of those things. But all of the other stuff that the Bible says is going to be happening. All the things in Matthew twenty-four, for example, are great examples of things that started in our building and our building in proportion the way scripture says it's going to right. such as how jesus describes these things that they will be happening in the in the greek happening exponentially like a yeah. mother and birth pain so they'll grow in frequency and intensity those things we can track and we can see but we've got to put that in its proper context as well right exactly and so uh just remember be careful how you do this i, I you know i saw a um a, a two world leaders meeting where they had crossbows in their laps today there was a I are was, you serious I, yeah i think the one who gave a gift or something they oh. come to our country <laughs> and i thought well look if that world leader came in in a white limo and they gave him a crossbow i could say oh yes here he is coming on a, on a white it's it's what how many, we say how much horsepower right, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> he's coming in in a white thing with horsepower <laughs> that's good they handed yes. him a bow yes. so i believe that guy's the antichrist now see see how wrong you can be there that's the danger of not sticking with the scripture literally and saying, yeah. wait a minute, we have to look at it literally. Again, I understand the meanings. There, 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 there are things that are, that have symbols and, you know, figures that are used, but they always have literal meanings behind them. And then secondly, uh, we have to look at it in context and of, of the timing of this. For example, even with this one, we know the, the, the great tribulation has not begun. So I don't want to belabor this. We need to move yeah. on. But my point is, be careful. Stick with the Scripture. Don't privately interpret. Uh, stick with what you know. And there may be something God shows you that nobody else sees yet. That may happen. Maybe you see something that you go, I think that's it. Okay, hold that. Hold. It. Don't tell people. Hold that in the back of your mind. If it's God, and if it's that, then the Holy Spirit will reveal it to his church so that everyone will see this is God's interpretation and not a private interpretation. So just be cautious about that as we head in the last days, because I think you're going to see a lot of self-proclaimed prophets and, oh, a, lot of, yes. so, and a lot of self-proclaimed uh, uh, declarations of what things mean. So we've got to find a solid ground to stand on or it's going to get, you know, it's going to get you off into weirdness. Don't get weird. Stay with the scripture. Yeah, we're going to see more of that, I'm sure. Yes. As we keep marching towards the end. All right, let's march into Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Pastor Mark, our first article comes from Yahoo.com, where sources are claiming that Russia and Iran have a secret nuclear deal that would allow uranium transfers to Tehran's illicit weapons program. Yeah, we're just seeing more and more stuff about Russia and Iran, aren't we? It just seems like every yeah, it's, week it's, it's heating back. Yeah, heating back up. It really is. And again, you know, this is the kind of thing we keep you aware of out there, um, you know, in prophecy land, so to speak. Because remember, this is one. For example, solidly, we know Russia and Iran will invade. We know that, and we don't know when. You know, the times and the seasons are in God's hand, but we know it's going to happen. And and you're seeing here not just again this further alliance. Now we're seeing them work together around the world uh, where they're trying to block them. We'll see that in another article in just a minute. But notice this: amid the International Atomic Energy Agency's disclosure this week, 
that the Islamic Republic of Iran accumulated uh, near-weapons-grade enrichment uranium. I think they really have. I think that uh, they pretty much have this. I think they've been, they're, they're acting like they don't, but I think they do. But either way, yeah. uh, again, for its nuclear weapon program, Fox News Digital has learned that Iran has allegedly secured secret deals with Russia to guarantee deliveries of uranium. I think they're using Amazon. I'm not sure on that. It's like next, <laughs> next day or something. Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Amazon Prime. Prime yeah, yeah, next day. Prime and, prophecy members. There you go, yes. yes. And the foreign <laughs> intelligence source, of course we're joking, and the foreign intelligence <laughs> sources claim, and I quote, as a uh, part of the agreement between the two countries, Russia has undertaken to return all the enriched uranium to Iran as quickly as possible, if for any reason the U.S. withdraws from the agreement. So what they're saying is, hey, you know, we're going to be there, we've got your back. We've got your back. And and it's interesting to watch these guys. We know it's going to happen. They're going to become closer and closer ally. They're going to push together more and more. And they're going to cover each other until finally they move together in battle against Israel. And God will wipe them out. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me when we first saw the military agreements that they had signed with each other. And this was well before Syria yeah. uh, came on the scene with its civil war. And then we were thinking Isaiah 17.1 was going to happen. Um, I just thought... You know, why why wouldn't Russia just immediately supply Iran with, you know, nuclear stuff? Uh, you know, and I, I didn't understand what was taking so long yeah. for stuff like this to happen. Why, why are they why are they reinventing the wheel? I would think to myself with Iran and trying to come up and enrich their own uranium and do all this right. stuff. Why not just get it from your friends in Russia? Yeah, they they already know how to do it. They already they're they're already doing it. They already have it. Yeah, probably though, Greg. There's probably some things. I don't know if there's any treaties that go against that, but I would say this much: if if people found out they were sending uranium to that, might, a war may break out right then. I was going to say, but since since when has Russia and Iran really cared what the well, world thought? They don't care. Unless you're pointing a nuclear missile at them saying, if you do that, I will pull it. I will, I will push this button. See, that changes yeah, things. And potentially. Remember, once you come in and hand somebody a nuclear weapon or give them the ability, then you're, and, and you know that the country you're given to said, we want to destroy America and Israel, then you're saying to America and Israel, then attack us. Which is, that's what you're saying. And we'd have to. You'd have to stop what they're doing in some form or fashion, whether it was actually attacking them or just the shipments or whatever. So I think there's probably a lot going on. You're right. I don't think they care. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is probably more of a self-preservation. Yeah. And it could be just the Lord's timing in terms of his sovereignty right. of allowing certain things to happen. Right. You know. Yeah. Whenever. Well, again, they're going to get their own. You know, uh, yeah. well, you, I used to wonder why doesn't somebody just give them a nuclear weapon? Right? Exactly. It finished. Well, they, yeah, don't finished. Have, they don't have the delivery system. You got to have a missile to put it on. So then you have to give them both. I know. Yeah, exactly. So why not? And unless they're unless they're thinking, well, if they do that, they could easily point the the missile at us. Yeah, and I would think also it'd be really hard to put a, a something that large and 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 the world's intelligence agencies not know about it. I don't know that it'd ever get there. You can ship small things and bits and pieces, but I would be, I, it'd be hard to ship a nuclear device. I guess. Um, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's impossible, but again, remember, here's the thing we have to remember as far as believers go: the Lord controls all that. Exactly. He's not going to let anything happen that He doesn't say can happen. So that's where we rest as believers. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting, Greg, the mm-hmm. warfare whole side of it. It's interesting. You're not kidding. All right, well, here's the other side. So that's uh, um, Russia scratching Iran's back, and here's Iran scratching Russia's back. Uh-huh. This is from the Times of Israel. 
Iran said to have supplied Russia with large shipment of ammunition. Okay. Probably because they're running out of it because well, of their war in Ukraine. And then America's blocking Russia's ability to get ammunition. So there we go. Here's what's happening, Greg. They're helping each other in their warfare. Yes. And, and they're becoming buddies here. Iran has supplied Russia with a large shipment of ammunition, including millions of bullets and hundreds of thousands of shells. Sky News reported Wednesday, citing an unnamed security source. And I quote, Iran sent two cargo ships to the combat zone in Ukraine, carrying approximately 200 new shipping containers that contain ammunition for the Russian fighting in Ukraine, the source said. Russia pays for the ammunition in cash, which won't be much, won't be worth it. They better do what they can. Yes. And by doing so, bypasses the Western sanctions on it because everything's electronic on the sanctions. You can't transfer monies. Ignoring the sanctions on Iran. So what they're saying is, look, We'll do it the old-fashioned way. We'll pay you in cash. We're still trying to do away with... You know, this is interesting, Greg. This is all the more reason you can see the world community say we have to stop cash. Because now they're going around us. They're not... Because they're blocking the digital transactions. The SWIFT... They call it SWIFT. Swift it's the yeah. banking system. Yeah. And so they can't transfer monies. A way to shut that down... Cash isn't worth anything. Now you have to use Swift or some other digital, and I don't know that it completely shuts it down then, but almost, you know, as far as I know, it would. That's all the more reason to push for this uh, whole digital, which, by the way, is coming soon. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it wouldn't be impossible this year, next year, to see a digital system kick in. We'll have to wait and see how quickly. They want to do it right away. I just don't know yeah. that they can. But this is inter- interesting. Yeah, I don't know that the technology is there in terms of its ability to be uh, deployed at that scale and be stable and reliable, but they'll certainly build on it and they'll get yeah. to that point because we know with the Antichrist, you know, he will force both small and great right. to take the mark. So I think a lot of this stuff in certain scales, in certain areas, will be in place. Yeah. He will come on the scene and make it mandatory for everyone. Okay, we're yeah. gonna, let's stop playing house. Yeah, we're we're making this happen. We're we're doing it in earnest. Uh, all of this is going to happen, and I don't care who you are. I don't care what your status is. I don't want your country. Whatever. We're all doing this, or it's death. Right. Right. And there's your ultimatum, and boom, we're done. And, you know, there, there, there is probably a much higher threshold to reach to really pull the trigger for that digital worldwide switch. But I will say this, Greg, if you've noticed the mindset today of the world, they do and things. And that's key. The they mindset. do things before we're ready. Yes. And I'll give you an example. We're not ready to do away with gas and oil. No. We, the world can't function without gas and oil. But our leaders right now are pushing full throttle to do away with all gas and oil. And nobody's thinking, what happens if we are really successful? If they really do it, then what? Yeah. Then what? I mean, so when I say that, what I'm saying is I can see them pushing the digital yeah. before they're ready. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's they just. And then when it falls apart, they go, uh-oh. And then maybe that's where the Antichrist comes in and saves the day. I don't know, but I mean. You, they, you talk about cutting your nose off to spite your face, as the old saying goes. Yeah. Uh, and that's because, and you've got a lot of people out there that are do-gooders in the sense that they really think that eliminating these things will solve problems and it won't because what people aren't thinking about is the devastation that mining has around the world on the earth's environment yeah when you've got a mine for these minerals to make the batteries not only that you've got a lot of slave child labor involved in a lot of these countries that are used for mining yeah there and and then you've got the big machinery and equipment that's also involved in mining, and those things operate with, guess what? Yeah. Gas and oil. That's right. Not electricity. That's right. So you are you are using a lot more of the 
traditional resources right now to get something in the future to add a thousand pounds or more whatever weight is compared to like 90 pounds of gasoline yeah. that's in your tank yeah uh, these are again but again it, it's a lot of what we see are good intentions and bad execution without thinking of the ramifications of everything else and not to mention the transportation industry buses uh airplanes uh cargo ships um all those things that traditionally use diesel or jet fuel or derivatives thereof yeah and i think greg some do have good intentions and they're just ignorant about it some, yes i think a lot have bad intentions though i'm just gonna and that's say true it. and that's true i mean if yes, you really cared absolutely. about i don't think this is about the environment no it's I about control this, it is about controlling yeah. the world and here's the thing if you cared about the environment you wouldn't lot a bunch of chemicals that burn for days in ohio and just pollute everything in the region exactly you wouldn't do all the flight private jets you're doing everywhere so it proves they're <laughs> really don't care about that no, this is hypocrites. about yeah this is about control the, the problem is is that um you know it's it's it, it does greater you're talking about the battery. we don't have enough materials to keep batteries going uh the pollution that it creates when you do all the batteries as they said that just that is way worse than anything we do with gas and oil um the cost is so much no one could do it anyway i mean to get a new battery for a tesla is ten thousand dollars so, I mean, I mean, you're, it's, it's like, who can really afford it? It sounds like a great idea to go buy one until you have to buy a battery. So the, the thing is, is that, and I'm not sure, I'm not saying all the Teslas cost 10000 I know that used to be the cost of a Tesla battery in, in, in a certain model. I don't know what they've changed it or what they've done now. But the point is, this is all part of this whole um, uh, mindset of just really getting the world under control. Yeah. And it's the spirit of Antichrist. Yes, I, don't, I don't know that they know that, but it's the spirit it of is. Antichrist getting the world under its control. And it's, it's, it's just yeah. total foolishness. We need the Lord to come back and show us how to run this thing. Well, and, you, and, you've, and you've got one faction using the other. You've got the people that are using the environment as a way to control the masses, which we right. know is led by the Antichrist, right. because his goal is not to save the environment. His goal is to be worshipped right. and to have the whole world come under him. Right. So, so you've got that group that's using the other group that truly believe that we've got to do this because we've got to save the planet because we're destroying the planet, right. you know, totally devoid of the understanding of God and his design and his creation, and that God holds all things together. Right. It's not our responsibility. We have limited responsibility. Let's yeah. put it this way. Yeah, we need to be good stewards. We need to be but good God's stewards. God's the one that's going to keep the planet running. That's it, his job. He's God. Exactly. So yeah. we have stuff like this that will just continue. And, and um, anyway, I mean, I would like to have an electric vehicle only because I don't have to go to the dealership and get tune-ups and oil changes and and belts and filters and things like that. There's a to me I I look at an electric vehicle from a practical sense in terms of operational savings yeah. down the road, but right now they're so expensive. Yeah, well, Greg, I've it's had, not worth and it. And I've had multiple electric vehicles all until my Hot Wheels <laughs> track broke. I had to get rid of all of them because it wasn't worth you know keeping them. But I have multiple I had in the past. So, oh, well, <laughs> that's our hot wheel of a pastor, Pastor Mark, who's helping us make sense of the yes. signs of the times. There you go. It's our weekly take on Bible prophecy in the world's news on WIAMLP Knoxville, a weekly broadcast that we identify as podcast number 254, available through all your popular podcast outlets. And we'd like to thank Bob Johnson Insurance, who supports signs of the times. Bob Johnson Insurance has been insuring East Tennesseans for over 50 years with over 15 different types of insurance to cover all aspects of life. Bob Johnson Insurance, 865-922-3111 or online at bobjohnsonins.com. And I don't mind saying I am a customer of Bob Johnson Insurance, and yes. so I can vouch yes. for them. They are great. They are they great are people. Great. Yes. All right. So let's get into some pestilence plagues. 
disasters and corruption as we visit the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 12. Yes. As we look at Christian headlines, tells us the Euphrates River water levels, the fall of those levels, are sparking end times questions. So what does the Euphrates yeah. River have to do with end times problems? Yes, I think there's an application here. But again, Greg, this is where people could take the scripture wrong. Wrong like we way. Talked okay. about so let's read this yeah. and we'll talk about that. Iraq's Ministry of Water Resource reports that the water levels of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in Iraq have fallen 30%. Um, water Ministry spokesman Khaled Kamal said that the drop in water levels is temporary. The officials are expected to release water from the Iraqi dams to take care of it. There should be positive results within the next two days. He said, and in 2017, Smithsonian Magazine reported that a satellite study found that the Tigris-Euphrates Basin was losing groundwater faster than any other place in the world except India. Now, there's a dual application here. There is a biblical a prophecy application, but then there's a wrong prophecy application that I want to, to kind of use as we talked about our example earlier. Sure. It's interesting. It says, Greg, I want to read that in, in Revelation 16, 12, um, when the sixth bowl is poured out. It says this, then the sixth angel sounded, um, uh, uh, rather poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So first of all, let's look at what the Bible says. The Euphrates will be dried up, but not yet. Now, I guess it could dry before and then fill back up. I don't know. But it says here, it'll be dried up during the Great Tribulation, and it won't happen until the sixth bowl, which is well into the Great Tribulation. So, we can't say that this is the prophecy being fulfilled. The Euphrates is drying up. See, here, here's how you can go wrong interpretation. Out of context. If we don't say, wait a minute, that would mean we're up to the sixth bowl in the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation hasn't even started. So prophecy students and hermeneutical prophecy students, listen up. It can't be that this is the fulfillment of prophecy of the drying up of the the Euphrates. It can't be. So let's establish that first. However, with a big however, we always talk about the headwinds of prophecy. I believe this may be a headwind or a foreshadow. I would say of, a foreshadowing of yeah. things to come, and that is, it is going to dry up, yeah. and it, and and God is going to use the 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 natural uh, elements around there to dry it up. He'll do supernatural as well. So the fact that you're seeing kind of this drain on the Euphrates, how it's beginning to dry up, and God will completely dry it up. There's an application to say, all right, we're seeing the headwinds of the storm that'll come later on at the sixth bowl in Revelation chapter 16. But this is not it yet but it's a foreshadow slash headwind. That's the way to interpret things like this. And yes, it's interesting, but don't think that now we're at the sixth bowl and, and the Euphrates is drying up because now you're completely off on your timetable. Yeah. Context, context, context. We were talking about before the show when I was discussing the Passover and the, the elements and symbolism that was tied into the Passover being a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for mankind. Right. That those that would accept the gift. Right. In terms of what the Passover represented for them there is that the angel of death would pass over them. And what Jesus Christ has done for us today, what right. he did on the cross and the representations, the tie-ins between the Passover and what Jesus actually did. And then there's other things in Scripture, Pastor Mark, such as the dual prophecy of the abomination of desolation. Right. Or the abomination that causes desolation. Yes. Uh, which would be, uh, when Antiochus Epiphanes forced all of the priests to eat the, the, the pork and the, and defiled the, the temple. Um, and then when Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation take place, well, 
to those that heard Jesus say that, I would imagine that their minds immediately went back to the days of the Maccabean Revolt in Antiochus Epiphanes and thinking to myself, well, that already happened. Right. But it was a dual prophecy. Yeah. So for these things, taking all of that into context, for these things that we see that potentially have tie-ins to end times prophecies, but we know in the context when we take in all of God's word prophetically, these are not the actual events that the Bible says will happen, but they are, we would say, more of a foreshadowing, but they're definitely not a dual prophecy. Right. That's not a dual, yeah, that's not a dual prophecy there because that okay. would, there's no intro to the to Euphrates the, being dried up and then later fulfilled. Fulfilled. Okay. But what you're talking about, it's a great point, Greg, and that is, you know, we have a lot of foreshadowings yeah. of things to come. So, um, I, I don't know if this one would be as much of a foreshadowing because there's nothing really to, to, to lead to it. It just kind of happens. This would be more of a, a, I think almost more of a headwind type category. You're seeing kind of what could happen because the foreshadowing is really where something partially happens. And it's a picture of what's going to happen later. Well, and then another great example of that would be when uh, Russia came in uh, to referee the Syrian civil war and all of the destruction that was happening as a result of the civil war yeah. in Damascus, yeah. which got the attention of us and others with regard to the prophecy of Isaiah 17.1, right, that Damascus would become a ruinous heap, never right. be inhabited again. Right. And so we're like on our, the edge of our seats, and all the articles are talking about it, and we're like, it's going to happen in any minute. Right. And then it didn't that's happen. That's right, but it's still a headwind of the but storm. But it's still a headwind yeah, yeah, of the yeah. storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another great example that we got, we just... We just all have to breathe and take a breath. Yeah, and dual prophecies is a great thing to educate yeah, uh, you know, our listeners sure. on, Greg. Because, again, you talked about people being confused when you read where Jesus said, you know, the, the mindset of the, the disciples. When he said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing on the Temple Mount, well, they automatically would have gone, this happened. with Again, Antiochus Epiphanes the yes. fourth long ago, with the, which led to the Maccabean Revolt, where this guy got up there, Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth got up there and, and said that he was God and, and put up, or he was a God, and then he put up an image of Zeus, Jupiter slash Zeus, and all this. That's definitely a foreshadowing of what was to come. It's going to really literally be fulfilled in Revelation, where the Antichrist is going to say, I'm God, and he's going to put yeah. up an image of himself. So... Um, you know, you look at that kind of stuff and go, they would, they would have been going, what in the world yeah. is he talking about? And of course, they would have figured it out later. But there, because there was a part of that prophecy that was not fulfilled then. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, there, yeah, it wasn't completed because again, um, you know, the Antiochus said, I'm a god. He put up Zeus. This guy's going to put up an image that says in Revelation of himself. Self. And he's going to declare Not that he is God. God. Yeah, he's yeah. going to declare that he is God. And and uh, so it's it's again, you, but you have to make the difference. You know, what is a headwind? What is something that's kind of a, a dual prophecy or whatever that kind of stuff? And so it's important to be able to note the difference there. And I think that's that's one of those things that you note the difference on. Yeah, good to know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get to some good news and then some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. This is from ChristianHeadlines.com. Uh, moviegoers are coming to Christ. After watching the Jesus Revolution movie, and this is according to, uh, I think, one of the producers in the movie, and even things that have happened on set as they were filming and making the movie, right? what God has done. Yeah, let me read some of yeah. this. And, and, and this is, uh, look what it says again, the revival-themed film that rocked to number three, 
rocketed rather to number three at the box office, also transformed some theaters into spontaneous worship services. Wow. With moviegoers gathering to sing, pray, and share the gospel before they walked out to their vehicles. Of course, the Jesus Revolution, as you said. The film Jesus Revolution tells the true story of a Jesus-loving hippie from the 60s and 70s and a straight-laced pastor who embraced him. It grossed $15.8 million last weekend, more than double what was pro- it was projected to make. It will expand into more theaters this weekend. Producer Kevin Downs told Christian Headlines it is, he was blown away by the reaction of the moviegoers. He says, it's been just an answer to prayer. I'm so overjoyed by it. Now, I got a chance to meet Kevin Downs. He's the one that I met at the funeral. Oh, okay. we, had a, we had a funeral here in Knoxville that he was connected to a family here at Calvary Chapel. And he was there. I got a chance to talk to him for a while. And he was telling me about the movie That's before it came out. And he had, he gave me kind of the markers. I said, what are the markers for this thing expanding? He said, well, if we hit the 10 million mark, it'll last longer in theaters he said, if we hit the 50 million mark, it goes worldwide. It's going to hit the 50 million mark. Wow. This thing is going to go worldwide. And so it, what's amazing to me is watching God work um, in this movie, because it's not just a, a true story about something that happened. God's now doing something fresh and new with it again. Um, he says social media was filled with anecdotal stories. I'm going to read three of them to you. In Florida, a TikTok video showed dozens of moviegoers singing and praying while a musician at the front of the theater played the guitar. <laughs> A revival in a movie theater after the Jesus Revolution movie, the caption read. In California, 10 moviegoers accepted Christ after the movie ended. Wow. Think about that. According to a Facebook post by Pastor Kevin Foster of LifeBridge Community Church, there also was a powerful time of worship and prayer at the end, he wrote. And then lastly, another theater in California, a worship service, broke out in the middle of the movie. Um, Notice this. After a technical glitch halted the film. According to a personal testimony by, sent to Kevin Downs and others, the testimony said that a young girl then stood up, faced the crowd, and asked, who needs prayer? Wow. While the movie was stuck. <laughs> people started asking for prayer, and the young girl and her friends started praying over these people. She then asked if anyone would like to give their lives over to Christ. So, again, amazing. God is using this. and It's amazing. I was talking yeah. to uh, Kevin Downs, again, the producer. He told me that when they did the scenes there at Pirate's Cove, where Pastor Chuck would go and do yeah, these Newport baptisms. Beach, yeah. yeah. He said that um, during that time, the, I think it was the extras that they had. It was either, I don't know if it was cast or extras. Yeah. I think it was extras. But of the extras they had, they said that during the filming of that, 10, no, 12 people gave their life to Christ. Yeah. And got baptized. Yeah. They went down the water in between the shooting of the film, and they got baptized. So God was already using it in an amazing way before it released. God is now using it in even a greater amazing way. And, of course, Greg, anytime, you know, this is the story of Calvary Chapel. And, of course, anytime that God uses something in a great way, the enemy comes in um, to oppose it. Uh, and, and so we're seeing some of that now. Not, not really bad, but again, I'm already starting to hear some of the, the, the things that are happening. I've had a couple of people in the body come up and say, Hey, people are telling me this about it because again, we are, as, as our listeners know, yeah. we are a Calvary Chapel. Just we're, this past Wednesday. Yeah. We're, we actually are, are, are born. We're from this movement that the movie's about. And I don't say that for any other reason, just to let you know that uh, because of that, we have people from Calvary Chapel that... And tell we have you, intimate knowledge. Yeah, and we have more intimate knowledge about what happened, how it happened, and people are coming to our people going, yeah, but what about this, what about that, what about that? It kind of reminds me of when Chuck first started, when God first started the movement with Pastor Chuck, you wouldn't believe the rumors that were there, Greg. I mean, there were things, there were rumors about, they had what they call, you know, the, the uh, you saw them in the movie, they had like the houses that the hippies would live in. Yes. Mansion Messiah and all these different ones. It's kind of funny, the first one was started because Chuck had too many hippies in his yard and in his house, he tried 
try to find them a place to live. And then it kind of spread as this thing, hey, this is cool, we can all live together, and, and it became kind of this almost kind of hippie commune, commune type thing. Yeah. yeah. And the peace, love, and that's where they all were, and God really used it in a great way. Um, but then, of course, when you talk about agape feasts and love feasts, and you talk about all the people, there's rumors of, 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 of having sexual, you know, orgies and stuff start coming up, and they were saying that, that at, at, at services, people were there naked up in trees. I mean, you wouldn't believe the rumors that were spreading about the Calvary Chapel. All of them false because they don't know what they're talking yeah. about. And I'm hearing some of that. Even now, I saw a guy on um, uh, some pastor that he obviously doesn't know Calvary Chapel at all. Um, you know, one of the things I appreciated, Greg, about the movie was the honesty that was portrayed in the movie. You know, Pastor Chuck and Lonnie Frisbee, you know, Lonnie wasn't presented as this flawless guy that walked on water and he was whatever. No, they showed the fact that Lonnie allowed some pride to get in. He allowed himself to yeah. get in. God had to remove him, and Chuck had to deal with him. And we see that portrayed in the movie, et cetera. And by the way, they took some they took some uh, um, poetic license in the movie. Lonnie never stood up and interrupted Pastor Chuck, and he never would have done that. Lonnie was oh, very okay. he was very respectful and respected Chuck. He would have never done that, and he did never do that. I know that as a historical fact, he didn't. But in the movie, they used uh, dramatic license. Because and I thought they did it well. What they were trying to show by by making it happen faster than you know you couldn't develop the whole story. Exactly. He was getting out of line and and trying to get more into the the, the things of the spirit rather than staying true to the word of God. So Chuck had to deal with him. So they kind of portrayed it in the movie as it happening at one moment of time, mm. and Chuck had to call him down. Well, that didn't really happen. But uh, again, um, either way, it was just that signal. And again, I think they handled it well of how Lonnie was kind of veering off and going too far. And it's interesting. Pastor Chuck warned. Um, you know, those that were getting too much into the whole, there's a difference in, you know, charisma and, and, and charismania are two different things. Yeah. Charisma, people are scared of that word, but all that word means is, is that you believe in the gifts of the spirit, right? So the people there in Corinth had charisma. Um, charismania is when people take those gifts and they abuse them and they use them wrongly and they just start getting weird and you basically get away from the word of God and you're pushing all these experiences rather than the word of God. And there was a split that happened in Calvary Chapel at that time where Lonnie Frisbee and John Wimber, some of those, you know, veered off into what is called the vineyard movement today because they, and I don't, and I'm not judging the vineyard movement. I don't know where vineyard is today. I'm not saying they're this way today. I'm saying 50 years ago when this all happened, uh, the vineyard movement was more into the experiential rather than the scriptural, than the biblical. So they were doing, they, they were really allowing the spirit to move, but it was more of a, it was charismania. And Chuck warned him, he said, guys, if you go down this path, he said, you're going to run into trouble. He said, he, he said, I agree with the gifts of the spirit. I believe they're for today. However, if you don't make the God's word central to have a solid foundation, then you're going to get you know, strange. You're going to be veered off in emotions, and I'm afraid your move is going to get away from the Word of God. You'll be doing things unbiblical. Well, that's exactly what happened to Lonnie and John Wimber, some of those guys. They started getting into a lot of unscriptural practices. We still see it today. Again, when you see churches veering off into barking in the Spirit or all these kind of things. Yeah. If you don't stay true to the Word of God, again, keep it within the confines of the playground God has given us, then you veer off course. So they, they, they were trying to portray that. They're being honest. Hey, we had a, a, a faction there that happened, and got, but we stuck with the Word of God. And we had the Word of God. Yes, we believed in the gifts, but there, everything was done decently and in order. And that's where the Calvary Chapel movement has progressed and, and gone to and gone through. So uh, I really appreciate how they did that. However, uh, what a lot of people, again, are talking about out there is Lonnie Frisbee, when he, when he left the Calvary Chapel and headed off on his own, he ended up getting divorced. It was sad what happened in his life. Again, the enemy really attacked. He ended up getting divorced. Um, he had been molested as a child. Um, and he talks about this openly in his own writings, so not revealing anything that if Lonnie was still alive today, he would be offended by. He, he released it himself in testimony. He veered away, and he did, uh, again, end up catching AIDS. 
and 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 fell into a you know a sinful relationship, and then he repented of that, and and after he repented of that, he came back uh, to Calvary Chapel and Pastor Chuck. He was like, Chuck, I I, I want to come home. I've repented. I fall. I want to be restored. And the Bible talks about Lonnie being restored, which he was, but they didn't give all the details about what he was restored from. Um, but he did catch AIDS. He eventually died of AIDS. Um, and when he came back to Calvary Chapel, uh, Chuck, as he always does, being gracious as he was, he allowed him back on staff, but he only made him a parking attendant. He wouldn't let him serve in any kind of pastoral capacity yeah. or whatever. So it was a very humbling thing for him because he was used very greatly at the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement. And he says in his own writings, and I was out there parking people that I led to Christ 30 years earlier or whatever. You know, wow. you think about how humbling Amazing. that was. Yeah. But it shows God's grace. It shows the grace coming through Pastor Chuck. And the way that Lonnie was humbled, and Lonnie was restored. All right, now, that is a beautiful God story. Yes. It's not beautiful that Lonnie fell. No. What's beautiful is, and by the way, Lonnie was molested as a child. I'm, I'm not making excuses for what he did, but because he was introduced to that type of sexuality as a child, that was something he was open to be tempted and fall in, and he did. Uh, you know, Lonnie would, even in his own writings, he said, I do not. I've never been a homosexual. I never considered myself that. He said, I, did, I fell in that because of molestation when I was younger, and I ended up catching AIDS. Anyway, so I'm not taking up for what he did. What he did was wrong. What he did was sinful. But... To give you an idea of how people are using this and, and, and kind of trying to uh, maybe attack uh, the movement or the film or whatever, I heard one this one pastor I was watching online, he was saying, uh, you know, hey, this is nothing more than trying to accept homosexuality in the church, and they're promoting the LGBTQ community because oh we know that Lonnie died of AIDS or whatever. I'm like, you, you know, my, my immediate thought was, you, you don't know Lonnie Frisbee at all, and number two, you don't know Calvary Chapel at all. You're talking just from, you have no knowledge, you have no understanding. And, and, and so the, so I looked at that, there's a lot of that kind of ignorance that's out there because they're, they're seeing it because that happened, and because Lonnie was lifted up at the first of the movie being used in the movement. Yeah. They're trying to say, and there are, lot, there are, Greg, a lot of churches. In the progressive Christianity movement, yeah. others, they're trying to bring that into the church and say that it's okay. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me just say this. Calvary Chapel is not one of them. <laughs> we believe in the Word of God. We're very conservative. We do not. We believe that is sinful, but God can forgive that sin, and God will, will restore that person. But we do not believe that that is something yeah. God accepts or something that the church should accept. Yeah. Um, and so you hear those kind of accusations, and when I hear that, I'm like, you know, you just don't know yeah. Calvary Chapel, and you didn't really know much about Lonnie Frisbee. Well, and I would say to this point, too, Pastor Mark, that the reason why Lonnie was featured as prominently as he was in the beginning of the movie is because the story of the Jesus Revolution was there were two parallel stories at being told on the screen. Yeah. One was the Jesus movement, and one was Greg Laurie That's coming right. to Jesus. That's right. Through which God used Lonnie Frisbee in a huge in way. A huge way. Yes, so yes. that's why Lonnie was featured the way he was. Yes, yeah. yeah. So again, I, I, you know, just again, I, my point was, and I want one other story yeah. I want to talk about this yeah. a little bit more, but my point I wanted to make to our listeners is look, whenever God does something uh, new and fresh and exciting like he did in, you know, back Look when, out for the in the Jesus Revolution, yeah, the attacks are going to come. So the church got really, the Calvary Chapel was accused of all kinds of false, crazy, ridiculous things back then. And now when this movie's released, I'm like, it doesn't surprise me. You're hearing some of the same false accusations. Calvary Chapel is very solid based conservative, uh, as far as the word of God. And, and, and very, very, uh, you're going to find line by line, verse by verse, very balanced. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, and again, people are trying to grab onto things and use them for their own purposes. And again, another one that I'm hearing, and I want our listeners to know this because we do have, again, a lot of our own people here at Calvary Chapel listening to this, and, and I know I'm getting questions now, so it's kind of a way to speak to the whole body at one time, but also <laughs> the listeners out there that are, that are connected to Calvary or yeah. just wondering what we're about. 
Uh, another accusation, this is an old one that came up from the past, that Pastor Chuck predicted the day of the Lord's return, and et cetera, so that we shouldn't listen to Pastor Chuck because he predicted the day of the Lord's return. Not true. Again, they don't know their facts, and they don't understand Pastor Chuck or what he said. What Pastor Chuck said was, and I've heard you know, the, the teaching, what Pastor Chuck said was is that, look, in 1948, um, Israel became a nation. And what Pastor Chuck was saying was, is I find 1988 very interesting. He said, I'm not saying that. And that was the year he was, or he was close to 88 when he did this teaching, right? Uh, yeah, close to the night of 1988. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so what he was saying was, is look, let's just be aware of the season. His point was this. He wasn't saying Jesus is coming back in 88. Now, why would again, uh, he mentioned 88? Because in scripture, typically a biblical generation is 40 years. years, So again, 1948, he's saying, Hey, 1988, whatever. It could be. He was just more getting excited. But here's what Chuck was doing. He did not say he's coming back in 88. What Chuck said was, is that let's be aware and, and recognize the season. And Jesus said we should be recognizing the season as a matter of fact he rebuked those in his day saying you can predict whether or not it's going to rain you can tell if the sky's red or what's going to happen but you do not know the signs of the times so here's what jesus said just to clarify he said no one will know the day and the hour pastor chuck never predicted a day he never predicted an hour so he didn't do anything unscriptural or unbiblical at all what he said was is hey tis the season Tis the season. So let's open our eyes. It is interesting we're coming up on 88, 40 years of Israel back in the land. So he's building an excitement and anticipation and not saying this is going to be it, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and again, just recognizing the season there. Now, well, now we can look back. And again, that's, there's nothing wrong in saying looks like we might be getting close to the time by, by doing that this season. Uh, but we have to be careful not for day or hour. But, but the bottom line is, is if you go back and read that specifically, Jesus said, when you see the fig tree, which fig tree in scripture is a picture of the church. Uh, I'm sorry, of Israel. He said, when you see the fig tree blooming, okay, know that that generation that sees the fig tree bloom, That'll be the generation of the Lord's return. Well, in 1948, Israel didn't bloom. In 1948, Israel just was born. They were struggling to survive. They were attacked from all sides. It stayed a dust bowl for years. They tried to build industry, life, or whatever. I think Israel now is blooming. Israel's blooming. Oh, yeah. So I would never say when the Lord's coming back or predict the day and hour. <laughs> Jesus said no one knows. But I believe now this generation that's alive, I personally believe that we will be the generation to see the return of the Lord. Now, does that make me a false prophet? No. Jesus never said you you wouldn't know the season. Matter of fact, he said, you better know it. You, you better, you better know, know it. Yes. And what Chuck was saying is, I think we're in the season. He was just off on the timing some. But but so when you hear people trying to accuse Pastor Chuck of saying the day and the hour, he never did that. You know, technically, Greg, somebody could even predict the year and they wouldn't be biblically wrong. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. But you wouldn't be biblically wrong by saying he's coming back in 2023. Because, again, you're not predicting the day or the hour. You're simply saying the year. The Bible didn't say you wouldn't know the year. The Bible says you won't know the day or the hour. And while we shouldn't be predicting years, you get my point, the point is we're to stay away from the day and the hour. We don't know exactly when the Lord's coming back. But we should recognize the signs of the times and that we're near. And that's all Chuck was trying to do. So he was falsely accused then. He's being falsely accused now. And um, he, he never did anything unbiblical. And again, one of the most godly righteous men I've ever known in my life. Uh, is it the prophecy? Is is it in Joel or Amos? And I get this confused and I really should get this cemented in my head. When God said, when I bring you back into the land, you will not be removed. 
Yeah, it's it doesn't even say it quite that, that way, way, and I would have to look it up. You've caught me off guard. I don't know Sorry. the exact. That's okay. But what it says, he says, when Israel back in the land, they're there to stay. stay. Is the point? Is the point? They're not going to be taken out, so they're there to stay. Right. Well, and my point in bringing all that up is um, to show you how much more of God's word I need to get instilled into my heart. Yes. Um, is that prophetically, that was the last thing that was preventing the rapture from happening. Yeah, the the yeah, pretty much that we're up to. The, there's nothing else preventing the rapture of the church now. There's no other major prophecies that need to be fulfilled. So from 1948 on, the rapture could have happened. So yes. 88, 98, 2008, whatever. It doesn't matter what anyone says. It, it, it could happen at it at any time. Here it is, Greg, and yeah, I, I found the verse. You. It's Amos 9.15. Amos, thank you. Amos 9.15, in context of the last days when God brings Israel back, here's what he says. He says, um, uh, I will I will um, firmly plant them there in their own land, yeah. and they will never again be uprooted from the land that I have given them. Thank Thus you. says the Lord God. Thus. So the bottom yes. line, in the King James Version, I, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up or out of the land which I've given them, saith the Lord God. So again, they're back in the land. They're not going to be taken out. I believe that Israel has bloomed. Therefore, I believe we are in the generation. But when is that going to be? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But I'll tell you what, the signs are all around us, and that's again why we do the show the signs of the times but again i just felt like i wanted to say something about this whole thing because so many you know you're, there's going to be more and more whenever god moves in a great way there's going to be more and more attacks that come against a movement uh and things that are just false that people don't know you know you really need to be a part of an, a movement to know who they are and what's going on and what they say and so like when i see people like that and that man on there saying that here's what they're trying to do that is the farthest thing from the truth of what calvary chapel is trying to do or would ever try to do but i'll tell you what calvary chapel does oh yes please and, what, do. and what pastor chuck would always do he is a, he was amazingly gracious now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to sin and it doesn't mean you don't hold people in sin accountable you need to repent what it means is a lot of people you notice in the movie greg there were people that had a really really difficult time with the fact that chuck would bring them in without them changing their clothes and cutting their hair um and i wouldn't be surprised if you found some of that still in the south today the more of your traditional church going yes and that is as you know if you're going to honor god you've got to cut your hair and put on the right clothes look I, i'm not saying that we should we should live like slobs and we shouldn't honor god and be and be respectful i'm not saying any of that what i'm saying is you've got to remember when these people were coming off the streets and off of drugs and out of the bars into the church that's all they knew all they knew was, hey, love, peace, love, man, hey, and whatever. That's all they knew. So, you, you, you know, the, I love the way Greg Laurie said it years ago, and it's always st- st- you know, stuck in my brain. God cleans his fish after he catches them. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people, and when, when the movement first started in California, and maybe even still some in the South today, they want to first clean the fish in the water, get the fish cleaned, then catch them and pull them in. It doesn't work that way. You can't clean fish in the water. They're going to run away from you. You know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. What is a fish? If you try to catch a fish, start scaling it in the water, what's it going to do? It's going to take off in bolts. What are you trying to do? Trying to kill me, right? But if you catch the fish and you bring it, scales and all, right? And you say, look, you're loved exactly how you are, but you, you know, God's going to clean you up. You've got to repent. You have to repent, but you're loved. That's where God does his, his most wonderful yeah. work. And the beautiful thing about the Calvary Chapel movement that I've seen over these over 30 some years of being involved in it is that. God, through this movement, God accepts everybody the way they come in. It doesn't matter whether you have a tattoo or long hair or shoes or no shoes or, or, or you're, you're pierced everywhere. You got your brain pierced or, you know, you're, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. 
God wants the heart and God loves the heart and God looks at the heart. And what happens is, is once God saves us, then God begins to work on our life as far as the way we conduct ourselves with others and in society and the way we look and all that. And so often, Greg, we reverse it. You know, Jesus said this. He said, it's not those things that come from the outside that defile you. Mm. You know, what you eat, what you drink, what you're wearing, what you do. It's from the heart. So what Jesus does is he goes to the heart first, catches the person by their heart, shows them they're loved, and then he begins to work in their life to clean them up in other areas as he moves from the inside out. And the problem is a lot of people have have, have a difficulty with that because they think, well, if you're not showing this from the outside in, initially somehow you're disrespecting God. Um, I think one of the things, you know, I, I again, getting saved and then being introduced initially to the Calvary Chapel movement, the thing I really appreciated about it, they weren't they weren't concerned about what you were wearing. They concerned about they were concerned about where's your heart with God? And that was their focus. Where's your heart with God? And then once your heart with God was captured and knew the love of God, then all that other stuff falls into place. And that's all that and a lot of attacks came against Chuck then. A lot of attacks I think are going to still come against uh, the movement now because they don't understand the movement, what was going on. But I have to say, and, and I'm not lifting up Calvary Chapel. Please don't misunderstand me. God is working through all of his church. If you're, no matter what church you're involved in, if God, that are available. If, if you're honoring God and you're loving God, right now God is working through you. And this is not about Calvary Chapel. And the movie's not to be about Calvary Chapel. It's to show what God did in that movement. But I'm simply saying that for those who don't understand Calvary Chapel or the Calvary Chapel movement, don't just listen to the rumors that you hear out there. Uh, do your homework. You'll find out that these things they're saying are not true. Yeah. It's a bit of an amazing movement that God's using. You know what? I, 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 we're ready for God to do something yeah. new in, in whatever. If, yeah. I don't care what movement God does it in. I don't care where it it wouldn't matter to me what church. If God wants to pour his spirit out on some church here in Knoxville, I just want to be a part of it. That's all. I want to see God do something new and send revival. Uh, we can't live in the past. No. Nope. I've heard people say, look, I'm, it was exciting to see what God did back then. But, Greg, what's God going to do now? And what, what's God going to do from this point on? That's what we need to be praying for as a church. Yeah, well, I think that movie just really elicited that kind of emotional response in a lot of people that we we need that again. We yeah. yearn for that again. Those exactly. kids, Those kids that were depicted in the movie are not unlike the kids today, yearning for acceptance yes. and, and love and, uh, and in their rebellion. And it's kind of like the prodigal son, you know, and and they were prodigal sons essentially coming back to the truth and being accepted and not being worried about who I can't remember if it was Paul or Jesus called the Pharisees. You whitewashed, you know, tombs. Yeah. Uh, You know that that you're 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 you look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. And God, the Bible says God looks to the heart he is the discerner of hearts yes. in men yes and god's looking at your hearts right now yeah. today some of you that are watching online some of you that are listening by radio right now some that'll be listening to, to this later by podcast or what other means maybe sent to you somebody on facebook who knows but the lord's looking at your heart and i want you to know this he's not concerned about your clothes or your hair or your shoes or no shoes or tattoos or piercings you know he loves he loves you and he, and he wants your heart and if you will simply go to him with your heart and say jesus you know what i'm a sinner I have sinned before you. I am guilty before heaven, and I'm not worthy of heaven. But because you died for me on the cross, I can be accepted. If you'll simply go to God and say, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. I believe you died for me on the cross and that your blood was spilled for me, and I I ask your forgiveness, and I turn from my sin. No matter what your life is like right now, whether you're involved in drugs, alcohol, whatever else, if you come to the Lord with a true heart, from the heart, not the lips, from the heart right now, and you pray that to the Lord, 
He will not only accept you and, and set you free and let you be born again. He'll, he'll give you new life in Christ. You'll be born again. He will also set you free from those drugs. He'll set you free from that alcohol. He'll set you free from these things that have you in bondage. And he'll show you he will love you just how you are, but he's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you there. He's going to change you to be more and more like Jesus every day. But he accepts you right now. Come to him right now and pray that prayer. How beautiful it would be to see you give your life to the Lord, even from this broadcast, and um, and to see people come into the kingdom. That's what it's about. It's not about uh, the church, the name on the church, uh, the clothes people wear. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just come to him and let him work, and he will do it. And that's what keeps any movement alive that Amen. was born in the Lord. Amen. Is to, that's right. Is, is to stay in that relationship with Jesus, being empowered by God's Holy Spirit, right. and not getting bound into the traditions of men. That's right. But just follow what God says to do in his word, which is, quite honestly, very simple stuff to do. Amen. Amen. Pastor Mark, thank you so much, folks. Thanks for listening. Don't forget the WayMedia.net is not only the place where you can get things regarding signs of the times, listen to previous episodes, ask Pastor Mark a prophecy question, read the episodes that we discussed. You can also listen to our 24-hour radio station, WIM, catch Pastor Mark's daily Bible program, Come to the Table, and the ever-expanding library of Calvary Knoxville. We'll see you back next Friday at 1.30 for more Signs of the Times. Signs of the Times.